I want to thank you for being on a journey with me. We are in our fifth week of a six-week series, and we are talking about America together. We're talking about the issues that we're facing as a country, and um, I, I kind of intentionally planned the end of the series to be hopefully even stronger and more um, uh, specific at the very end towards some of the issues that are going on in our country. And we have been each week praying for our country. So as I began this series, I told you there, I had a few um, things in my mind that I wanted us to accomplish together. We were going to talk about what was happening in our culture and kind of the newspaper in one hand and then the Bible scriptures in another hand and let those two things uh, meet together. We're going to be talking about that today specifically. And then I've also uh, told you that I was hoping to be able to equip, equip you around thinking around some of these issues and then being able to talk about some of these issues with your coworkers, your family members, maybe even your children or your grandchildren. And then every week when we finish uh, the sermon time, the message time here, we are coming to a time of just prayer over our country, prayer over the issues that are facing America. And if you have missed a portion of, these, of this series, let me just remind you of what is the case uh, for this series and for every series. You can go to our website, harvestpointumc.com, and you can listen in on any given Sunday that you miss and track back with us. Um, a lot of folks were, were calling in this week or, or asking, hey, I missed this past week. I heard great things about it. How do I do that? Just go to our website, harvestpointumc.com, and you can stream in. Or you can also subscribe to a podcast at iTunes, and they will regularly come into uh, to your iTunes folder there on, on uh, your, uh, your desktop. Well, this past week, uh, we, I'm sorry, this week, we're going to be talking about common ground. So if you have your outline in front of you, I want to invite you to grab that outline, grab a pen. We're going to be filling in the blanks. We're going to be circling some scriptures and underlining some words, all that kind of stuff. But let me just real quickly do a recap on where we've been. Week number one, I talked with you about uh, the fact that, that the Bible is very clear for any Christ follower that we have an enemy and that the enemy of the Christ follower and of the kingdom of God is Satan. There is a very real being who uh, named Satan, who God has given dominion of this planet where we live, and, and he only has that power for a little while. And, but Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I began there because I wanted to remind you guys that sometimes we get so mad at the, the, the folks who are different from us politically or folks who have different ideologies, and we think they are our enemy because they think differently than us. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of the struggle and the suffering and the evil and the wickedness that's going on in our world right now, get to the real heart of it. It is because we have an enemy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us. And he is behind some of the very, the, 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 the most public and in-our-face issues of the time. We also talked uh, about how the kingdom of heaven, one of our weeks we talked about how the kingdom of heaven wants to have something to say over the kingdom of this world. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. But what happens a lot of time is we begin to see ourselves, even as Americans, we, begin, we become more nationalist than we do Christian, and it's about our kingdom. It's about what we're building on the planet instead of understanding that Jesus always was kind of a bull above nationalities. He didn't even always take up the cause of the Jews. Jesus was above all that. He talked about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God needed to have power over the kingdom of the world. We also talked about Trojan horses. Hopefully you remember that. How uh, we, we, I reminded you of the Battle of Troy and how they slipped in this horse and it looked like it was a great gift and the people received it into their city as a great gift. But all of a sudden it had warriors inside of it and they started spilling out and they began to take over the city of Troy. And I reminded you that we have allowed some things into our culture that we thought were very good. 
I reminded you, for example, about technology. Technology can be used for good, right? But technology can also have terrible evils in it, both in, in your home and in our society and globally. And sometimes we just kind of take that stuff in and we don't really realize the power of, of we think it's a gift, but how it can be a very attack in our culture and in our home. Today I want to talk to you about, I want to pick up from where we left off last week, and I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be an agent, a voice, a, a mediator, an ambassador for God. Where you work, where you live, where you, uh, where you play, I want, to, I want to talk to you about what that looks like, and I want to get real, um, real specific about how you, you should pray when you're talking with somebody that has different views than you have, and how you should talk to them, and, and, and I want to equip you around what that looks like, and, and how I'm going to do that is not because I'm clever or I'm smart, I want to look at Jesus, because Jesus, have you ever noticed in the Bible, Jesus all the time hung out with people who were different from him, Jesus didn't hang out with the folks who were just like him, he hung out with people who were vastly different from him, here was a holy God, and, and a holy man, and he hung out with people who were far less than holy, right? Sometimes he got criticized for it and said, man, you you hang out with sinners. Jesus hung out with people different from him, but he knew how to reach into their world, how to speak to them because he was an ambassador for his father. We're going to look at him and we're going to learn from him today. So last scripture I shared last week, going to pick up with that, okay? We were talking in Matthew, so read that with me in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching the great Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the, if, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he also changed it from the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, They put it on a stand. If you have your pen, underline those five words. They put it on a stand. They put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Last week, we talked about stating the obvious and how the politically correct notion that we're being pressured in right now says, hey, listen, even if you know something's truthful, even if you know something's blatantly obvious, like, for example, our national debt, right? It's obvious that we're bankrupting our own children and our grandchildren. Well, don't talk about that. Don't, don't, don't state the obvious because that might offend somebody, right? And it might rub them the wrong way. That's what the politically correct notion is. But what Jesus is calling us to do is to be salt and light, to shine. And I talked to you about what it means to state the obvious, to speak the truth, to be able to have the, the, the biblical convictions that we have and not be quiet about it, but speak the truth in love. This past Wednesday night, we have a thing here at, at Harvest Point called Purposely Plugged In, and we invite folks to come on Wednesday night, and we kind of continue the conversation from Sunday. And I challenge them to think about why Jesus chose salt and light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to flavor the world. You're supposed to be the preserving agent in the world. You're the salt of the earth. And then he said, you're the light of the world. And, and, and you got that image last week, right? I'm going to put you on a stand. Some of you guys work in, in, in schools. Some of you guys work in banks. Some of you guys work in your own business that you've built. I'm going to put you on a stand. And in that place, I want you to shine. What does it look like for you to shine uh, for God in that place? One thing that Jesus did not say, we we're talking about this on Wednesday night, 
is Jesus did not say, he said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, you're the light of the world. He did not say, and I put you there to be chameleons, right? No, he doesn't want us to blend into the crowd. He doesn't want us to be quiet. We might offend somebody. He actually wants us to be bearers of truth. You got your pen? What does it look like to be salt and light? And why was Jesus even talking about this? Number one, Jesus prefers that we choose to be around those who are different than us. Write that in. Jesus, Jesus, Stephen, are you serious? Jesus actually has a preference. He really does care one way or the other who I hang around. Absolutely. You can look at Jesus' life and you can learn that Jesus' preference was that he was hanging around people who were different from him. He was hanging around people who were far away from the kingdom of God. Well, doesn't that make it harder on him? Yeah, it got Jesus killed. I mean, have you ever noticed it before? Uh, Jesus had a, he, he hung around people who were different from them, and they were changed so much, radically changed, that the people who were in political power and in religious power hated him for it, and they began to try to kill him for it. Now listen, I know that some of you guys, you go to a high school, and there are people in your high school who are a lot different from you. Some of you are in college. Some of you are in a workplace where you feel like, man, the word that was used this past week with me, a, a young lady said, sometimes I feel like I want to share my faith, but I feel like my, I'm, my, my tongue, my, my voice is almost suppressed because I feel like I can't share what I know is true. You know, it'd be easier in those moments when we feel like we are suppressed, we feel like we can't share, we feel like we're in a company that, that says, you know, you, 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 you can work for us, but don't necessarily live out your faith publicly, it'd be easier for us to sometimes just say, okay, well, I'm just going to hang out with people who are like me. But if when we do that, we really are not doing the very, we're not imitating Jesus. Jesus hung out with folks who were vastly different from him. I want to share with you this a story from this book. Now, I told you, I've been reading a book. Some of you have actually bought this with me. The book is called The Politically Incorrect Jesus. Uh, the guy by the name of, uh, the guy who wrote this book, is, is, his name is Joe. And Joe is actually in media development. He's a movie producer. He's one of the guys behind some of those movies that you've watched in Christian theater, I mean, the theater, these Christian movies like Facing the Giants. He was behind that movie, Courageous. He was one of the guys, the money guys behind that movie. Well, Joe is a media guy. And because he's a media guy, he shares a story in this book about getting invited to, to meet with some political leaders um, th- that they were going to talk about some hot topics, some hot politically American topics. And they wanted to invite a leading evangelical, Bible-believing, Christ follower to come into the room. And they invited Joe. Now, Joe's sitting in there, one of two people in the room with a whole bunch of other media people, and they're going to talk about issues that are facing the day, and they're, they're going to talk about how they, can, how they can journey together, but they've invited in the room to have a conversation. Well, in the middle of this conversation, the, the topic of abortion was brought up. He tells this story in his book. At, the topic of abortion was brought up, and a guy sitting across the table from him looks at Joe, and he says, hey, listen, i got a question for you. Where is the middle ground for you Christians for you evangelicals, for you Bible-believing people on abortion? Where's the middle ground? Where can we meet in the middle on abortion? And Joe looked at him, and Joe said, well, for us, there really is no middle ground on abortion, okay? Now, immediately, the guy across the table threw his arms up, and he said, there you go, there you go, that's y'all. He said, every time I get around an evangelical, a Bible-believing Bible, you know, you guys... Don't ever have any, you won't meet me halfway. 
You just shut me off. He got all hostile. And Joe looked at him and said, well, it's because you asked me the wrong question. The room was really quiet. He said, you ask me what the middle ground is on abortion. And for Christ followers who who follow the, the sanctity of life, of what God did in creating life and preserving life, for us there is no middle ground. I can't come to you and say, okay, well, it's okay at this number of weeks or it's, it's okay at when, they get, when people get to this certain age and not worry about them. For, for people who are evangelicals, there is no middle ground because for us, it's about life from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. We believe in the sanctity of life. But if you would have asked me, is there any common ground that we have then I would tell you, I believe there are some very serious places where we can meet in the middle and we can work together, even though you and I disagree. Very quiet in the room, just like it's kind of quiet in this room right now. The guy looked at him and said, okay, well, talk to me about common ground then on abortion. And so Joe looked at him and said, so we're never going to agree you think abortion is, a, is somebody's right to choose, and I think abortion is wrong according to the Bible. We're never going to agree about how that works its way out in abortion as of itself, but I think what we can agree, common ground, is I think that we can agree that you'd, every person who, who wants abortions to be available to any lady at their own choosing, you would choose just like I would, any evangelical, we would choose together that we think it's better that we would have Less and less abortions on planet Earth. I mean, when a woman has an abortion, oftentimes it's a scarring, it's a hurtful, it's a painful thing in, in her world. So even the, uh, the person who is championing abortion, even you would want to find ways for us to have less and less of those, but you think it's a constitutional right for a lady to have that. And every evangelical Bible-believing person that I know would be certainly happy and happier if we could have less and less abortions. How can we have less and less abortions so why don't we talk for a little, about, little bit about the common ground we have, the common ground. How can we work together so that I don't infringe upon what you believe to be rights and you don't infringe upon making me, um, you know, say something I don't believe about the biblical standard of what life is all about. And let's talk how we can work in our society together in, in places like education and in places like the poor and in places like our high schools to, to help people be informed and have less and less and less abortions happening in our country. You know, I was reading this book, The Politically Incorrect Jesus, and Joe took me to school for a minute. See, because I, I started thinking about how many Christians, how many evangelical Christians get in a conversation with somebody who believes totally different from them, and it can become hostile. It can become oppositional. And real quickly, like it did at the table that day, the person who disagrees with you on what you believe about the Bible, they can say, hey, just, hey, just, you and I, they just shut you down. And here's why. A lot of people who don't know the Bible or don't believe or non-Christians, listen, they, they've already made up their mind. They think they know for evangelicals what we are against. We know they're against this, this, this. They have no idea what we're for. And why is that? Because many times, listen, evangelical Christ followers have not learned how to be at the table, how to be at the table and just be able to talk about these issues in a way where we don't, we don't have 
a, a journey towards middle ground where we're giving up our convictions, we're giving up our biblical beliefs, but we're saying, you know what, I bet there might be common ground where we can work together toward a desired, a desired vision of America where the kingdom of God has a say in it all. You know, look at, look at your outline there. I've, I've tried to draw, draw a little delineation. Uh, well, actually, fill in number two for me real quickly. What would it look like for me? I made that very personal. I want you to ask yourself that question. What would it look like for me to strive for common ground when I am around someone who has a vastly different worldview, ethic, or ideology than I do? What would it look like for me to strive for common ground with them, not middle ground? So you'll see a little, little, little graph I put there for you. What does that look like? Middle ground, middle ground uh, would be some, you know, being, being able to say, hey, this is, I'm compromising on what I believe to be my biblical beliefs. I am selling out. I'm, I'm violating my own conscience. I'm violating God's word. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give up, I'm, I'm, meet you in some kind of middle ground. What would common ground look like? Common ground is sitting at the table, not in anger, not in frustration, not in hostility, not in I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convince you and I'm, stay with me here. I'm going to power you down, not in that kind of thing. Common ground is Christ followers being around people who are different than them asking some key questions to themselves even as they're talking, like these questions. Is there anything we can agree on? What can we agree on together? By the way, in just a few minutes, this is very important that you get this because I'm going to dive into some issues that I think are facing America where I can talk to you about some common ground. And it might get a little uncomfortable in this room. Is that okay? Is that all right? What, what can we agree on? What can we agree on? You think this way on immigration. I think this way on immigration. What can we agree on? Is there a shared goal in our minds? What are we both after? See, you and I, God wants us to be, number one, around people who are different than us, okay? He doesn't want us to always be around people just like us with our ethics and our our ideologies and our biblical worldview. He doesn't want us to always be around people just like us. He wants us to be out in the world, salt and light. And here's the deal. When we're in those conversations, I believe, I believe Jesus needs Christ followers who are reasonable and smart and wise, who know what they believe, and they're not emotionally so hammed up that they get all, they get all you know, over the top on this, but they can start asking themselves some questions. How can we talk in a way that I can share my faith with you, share what I believe with you, and we can talk about something we agree on or something we, we can share a, a, a thought about or something we're after together? Jesus, listen, Jesus was a master at this. I could turn in the Bible over and over again how Jesus met with somebody who was vastly different from him, and he would find a place of common ground with them, and then he would allow that ministry that he had with them to begin to bloom. And I really believe that that's our call. If you are a Christ follower here, I believe that living the Christ life is all about finding common ground with everyone so that then you can be at the table with them and Christ can be at the table with them too. So Jesus didn't run away from people who were unlike him. Jesus, when he was with people different from him, he found common ground. Classic case. You got your Bible. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4. And you might even want to put a finger. I'm not going to be able to read this one. Turn over to John chapter 8 too. Notice that, notice that Jesus is going to meet in this situation with two ladies and I'm only going to focus on one, but another one, notice that he does the same kind of thing, okay? 
John chapter 8. But in John chapter 4, Jesus is journeying, um, he, he's journeying through a town, uh, actually uh, through a region called Samaria, and he meets a lady who is a lot, a lot, a lot different than him. But watch how Jesus converses with her and finds common ground. In Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 4, verse 6. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, underline these words, Will you give me a drink? Now, we don't know exactly how much Jesus knows, but just the very next few verses are going to tell us that Jesus is not like me and you. I mean, He is the God-man, and we do know that He could access knowledge beyond just human knowledge, but at the same time, Philippians tells us He laid down certain parts of His divinity and His own knowledge when He was walking on planet Earth. So Jesus knows, He knows the baggage of this lady. He knows her whole backstory. He knows about her, and He says to her, will you give me a drink? By the way, Jesus is not even supposed to talk to this lady. A good Jew, much less a holy rabbi, was never even supposed to talk to a Samaritan, much less a woman, okay? And this woman walks up, and can you just imagine her face for a minute? And, and there's this guy sitting next to her. It's apparent that he's Jewish, and he looks at her and says, will you give me a drink? And I imagine, I can't make shocked faces, you know, on, on the, on, you know, just like that, but can you imagine a shocked face from this lady? And then she says to him, watch this. His disciples had gone into town to buy some food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, that's Jacob's well, who gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Let me just pause there for a minute. I didn't have time to read the whole chapter to you today because the chapter is kind of long. But if you remember this woman's story, um, she thinks Jesus is talking about water. And Jesus' common ground with her is water and the well. And he wants to lead her to life. And he knows how much her life needs change and how much she needs hope and health in her life. Jesus goes on the next few verses and he, he talks to her about her life. He asks her about her husband. And he knows that she's not even living with a, with a husband right now. She's living with a man. And that she's had multiple, multiple fail, failed marriages. And all that comes out. He, tells, he begins to tell her about herself. And while he's telling her about herself, all of a sudden her, her mind is open. If, it, if at first 
he would have jumped into what her life was all about, if, if at first he would have said, you know what, you need help in your life, I'm here to help you, she might have shut him down completely. But he started with water, he moved to her life, and he begins to lead this woman to an understanding of the kingdom of God and that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's the Messiah. You remember this story, right? She is so impacted, she's so impacted in this conversation which is probably even lengthier than what we have in our biblical pages. She's so enlightened in this conversation, she runs back to the town and she tells people back there, come and meet a man like I've never met before. He knows all about me. This is the Messiah. And she brings people back to the well and Jesus is still there. And the Bible says in verse uh, 39, verse, chapter 4, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. See, Jesus was excellent at sitting down with people who were different from him. I mentioned John 8 a minute ago. A woman caught in adultery is dragged out in front of Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. Jesus doesn't ridicule her how she was caught in adultery. Jesus doesn't bash her. He doesn't point his finger. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get hostile. Jesus finds common ground. She needs forgiveness, and so do all the rest of these people with stones in their hands. Guys, Jesus found common ground over and over and over again. Now, here's to be sure. Listen carefully. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus, he was not, he he didn't pretend their sin wasn't there. He met this woman by the well. He wasn't pretending that she wasn't a sinful woman. But here's the point. Jesus was not condemning her for not agreeing with him or not living his way or not living perfectly. He wasn't condemning her. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is not in the business of condemning. Did you know that? You know how I know that? Most famous Bible verse that anybody in the Bible has ever memorized. What is that? What's the most famous Bible verse that anybody knows? What is it? Say it out loud. You got it right. What is it? For God so loved the world. John 3.16. Listen, this is how I know Jesus is not in the business of condemning. John 3.16. You know, you see this one at you know, football stadiums, right? John 3.16 uh, 3, says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And everybody stops there, don't they? But what does John, John 3.17 say? Oh, I love this. This is how I know Jesus is not in the business of condemning people. It says, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See, I think sometimes when we're talking to people that disagree with us, that don't think like we do and don't have our biblical ideologies, we can get so emotional and we can get so heated up about it that it comes across to them like we're condemning them. Like, like you know, man, they may not be on a path to follow God like we are. They may not even believe there is such a thing as God. They may not believe in God's Word at all. So it's very easy. For I think people who disagree with us, and we get in these conversations, for them to feel like we're condemning them because we have a code of ethics, we have a, a Bible or, or God's Word, and we, we know better than that. And I want to remind you, listen, Christ follower out there who is around this kind of situation all the time, you're around people who disagree with you, you're around people who, 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 who are wanting to talk with you about these things, but they, they have their walls up, listen, let's learn from Jesus. Jesus was not in the business of condemning people. I don't have time to teach on this this morning, but one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is actually convicting people. It's not your job. It's not my job. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict people in their hearts, but never 
Never is God in the business of condemning people. He's in the business of saving people. So Jesus, this common ground thing, he was a master at it. He could sit at the well or writing in the sand with a woman who'd just been caught in adultery, and they didn't feel condemned. They felt like he was genuinely after their best. And he would find common ground with them, said a different way. He, he, he would enter into a foreign environment with somebody who was different than them, and, and he would begin to seek common ground with them, and now he would have a conversation, an open door, no walls anymore. All of a sudden, walls start falling down, and he could actually get to their heart. This past week, I was reading in the prophet Isaiah, and I don't have it in your notes today, but listen to this from Isaiah 1. This is the prophet of God telling the people of God about how God works. Isaiah chapter 1, uh, maybe you write it down in the margin of your notes, read it later on. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God said this to his people, come now, let us reason together. I like that. <laughs> See, because I think most people, they hear God always talking. God's always saying something. He's giving commands, right? Like the commandments. You know the prophet Isaiah stood for? God said, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I can make them white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What would it look like? This is my idea. This is, this is what I was thinking about this morning. What would it look like for Christ followers to be working at and these places where we work, which oftentimes are so secular, they try, to, they try to hold God at bay and don't talk about things that might offend. What would it look like for everybody in this room, just you guys, and maybe those who are listening via the podcast or streaming live, what would it look like for every one of us to have a biblical knowledge of God's Word? We were students of God's Word. We were disciples, every one of us. Not, not, not nine out of ten of us, not four out of ten of us. Every one of, what would it look like if every one of us knew God's Word? And what if every one of us had certain convictions about the things that are facing America right now. And, and what if we were in those places in such a way where we were, whenever we got into a foreign environment with somebody who had a different worldview than us, different ethics than us, different, different ideologies than us, what if we in that moment just began to not get heated, not get, not get hot, not, not get overzealous, but we just began to talk? And what if we were so smart? Because don't you think God wants smart and wise Christians listening for the whisper of the Holy Spirit? What if while we were talking to that person in the next cubicle over, what if God revealed a little common ground? And what if we could just, instead of getting hot and all amped up, what if we could just begin to talk about common ground places where we can agree and maybe have the walls drop down, have the walls melt away, and all of a sudden have people's hearts open? You got your pen? The third thing. See, I think as a Christ follower, our goal should be to simply show up that Jesus might have a place at the table. What if we would show up, not get angry, not be mad, not shut people down? Oh, you believe differently than me? We can't even talk. Not that kind of thing. What if Christ followers would be smart and wise, biblically learned? And what if they were smart enough to listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit so that they would show up? Look for common ground and then simply give Christ a place to join us at the table. Okay, Stephen, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting the difference between middle ground and how that's a sellout, and how that's compromise, and how, how we're giving up and we're, we're, we're violating our own biblical principles. I'm not going to do that. But show me how this, 
show me how this, this, this common ground thing would really work in an issue we're facing in America. So, let's talk about immigration for a minute, because this has been on my mind pretty heavily. Now, if I, if I walk away from the Bible, if I take the Bible and I just sit it way over here, and I say, you know what, I just don't want to think about the Bible, I just want to think about what I want and what I think ought to happen in America. I think that's the way a lot of people, by the way, deal with their politics. They, they, want, they just kind of think, they listen to politicians, they listen to other people, friends, and then they think, what do I want myself, you know? I'm just going to confess me for a minute, okay? If this were me, and if I were listening to just whoever I want to listen to, if I were to do it myself, I'm going to become the President of the United States. And how would you do it, Stephen? Well, I would, I would, I have my own ideologies about how I'd want to do it. I mean, yes, absolutely. Let's fortify our borders. Let's, let's, that's, that's a no-brainer, right? Let's so, we're a sovereign nation. We'll build our borders, and we won't let anybody in unless they come in legally. And all the people who are in here legally or illegally, we're going to do something with them. And, and we, we can't have them affecting the wage earners of America and this and that, and let's get them out of here. But here's the problem. I'm doing that all by myself. I'm doing that in my own ideologies. I'm doing that in my own wants, my own wishes. I'll never forget when Jose... Jose is here this morning because he wanted to stand. He and Angie wanted to come and be with the Thomas family as they're getting baptized in a few minutes. I'll never forget when Jose came to me and Jose said, Hey, Stephen, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm, I have a vision to start a Hispanic ministry here. How many years are we going now, Jose? Five? Six! Six years ago, we started a Hispanic ministry that will actually be worshiping tonight right here. They're getting big, guys. I'm so proud of the, the ministry of La Gran Cosecha. I came in here the other night, and they were having their anniversary, and it was, like, packed. And I was, I'm, like, super excited. And, and six years ago, actually, I guess it's more like seven years ago, Jose and I sat down, and we started talking about the immigrants that he's trying to reach, the people who are from, some of them are from Mexico, some of them are from Cuba, some of them are from Puerto Rico. They're from all over the place, different countries. And you know what? I met with Jose, and I saw the passion in Jose's heart for these people who are in our country, many of them not having green cards, many of them illegal here. How do you, how do you minister to these people who are oftentimes, uh, they're, 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 they're moving, they're itinerant, they're all over the place. How do you minister to them? And Jose, I don't think I ever told you this, but I left our meeting, and I went and got my Bible. Because here's what I, here's what I knew. By myself... I felt a certain way. I was way over there. And I went and got my Bible, and I said, God, what can you teach me about the folks who are in our country who we're going to start a ministry towards who are not here legally? They're foreigners here that have, that have gotten in somewhere or the other. What can you teach me? And you know what I found? This, is, this might be uncomfortable to some of you, but have you really picked up your Bible and have you thought about issues that we're facing in America right now? You know what I found over and over again? Verse after verse after verse in the Bible. I'll give you an example. The book of Exodus says this. The book of Exodus says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I just put a few scriptures there, but if you want to, go to Google. Go Bible, just put in Google, Bible passage, foreigners. And did you know, guys, that God says over and over again, for any sovereign country on the planet that when we have foreigners or aliens in our midst, doesn't say whether they're legal or illegal. It says, listen, I allowed you to be a foreigner in a country that you are a slave in. And I want you never to forget how you were mistreated. Don't you ever treat foreigners bad. 
And many of those scriptures, even beyond the list that I gave you, at the very end after he talks, he said, he says this. He says what he says about not mistreating the foreigner and the alien, and then he makes this statement. And this is the way it will be, for I am the Lord your God. He basically says, I'm not going to change. And so who were you, Stephen? I mean, I was over here. I had these things about, man, I just, I want this and I want this. And I went to God's word and I said, but your word says this, God. And you know what it means? You know what it means for me? I won't say what it means for you. I'll say what it means for me. It means for me. And I've been journeying with these guys now for six years. My heart is so much more compassionate now than it was for them when we, before we ever started that ministry. They were just, they were just a, a, a category. They were just a classification. They were a people group. They had no faces and no names. But recently I was sitting down with one of them and they said, listen, we want just what you want. We want a job and we want to work and we want to grow our family up in Jesus Christ. We want what you want. Would you care for us? So what does that mean about America? I mean, the truth of the matter is, we can do something that is totally anti-biblical and we can build the wall and we can take them all and put them on buses or planes and we can get them out of here. We can do that. But we will have violated the very word of God, which says that we're supposed to treat foreigners. Now, what is, it? Is, is it tough? Yes, yeah, tough. Yeah, we've, we've been lax on our own border security. We have allowed our borders to, to be, you know, like just be flooded over. Do we need borders? Absolutely. Go back to last week, right? State the obvious. Every sovereign country has its borders. Do we need a way to allow people to come into our country as, as immigrants in a, in a legal way? Absolutely. We are, we're the United States of America, the Statue of Liberty. That's who we are. But what does it mean now that we have a lot of people living here who are here illegally? They've gotten in here. They are foreigners in our midst. And our Bible says they're here. How are you going to treat them? How are you going to treat them? Sometimes I wonder if the politicians have, have just stood off on their own and studied the Bible at all. So you will be sitting right next to somebody at your work or around the table at Thanksgiving, and you might, you might totally disagree on the issue of immigration. But hey, guess what? It's not a black issue, and it's not a white issue. It's got all kind of hues of grays in it. There's a lot of common ground we can find about issues like this. Aren't there some things we can agree on about the sanctity of human life and how we want to treat people right and how we do want to, we want to shore up the borders of our country and how we do want to allow legalization of, of immigration? Aren't there some things we can agree on? How do we start the process? How do we get it there? See, I'm going to say it again. I think Jesus wants biblically well-informed people like you and me, to be smart, not hostile, and to be listening to the Holy Spirit for those common ground places, and to be able to talk with people who disagree with us, so that in the talking and in the discussion, all of a sudden, Jesus can have a place at the table, and maybe the walls would drop. Let me remind you of a scripture that I, that I preached on just a little while back. It's from the, from the book of Corinthians. And it talks about us being who we're supposed to be. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, I believe, it'll be up there in a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed this message to us, a message of reconciliation. 
We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. If we're really going to be ambassadors, we've got to be smart and wise. We've got to know our, 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 our be good disciples of what God's Word is all about. And then we've got to be able to talk. Ambassadors, they talk. They reason together. And they seek common ground. This morning, as I invite you to come to pray, I wrote down in my notes here a few things that I want to just guide you on. Maybe if you have your notes in front of you, maybe you would write these things down if you plan on coming to bow here and pray, or maybe you're going to pray in your seat. But I want you to pray for Christ followers. I want you to pray for Christ followers who God has given them a stand that they would be wise and that they would not be so emotional. We don't need Christ followers to be so emotional that they just shut up, they shut, they build up walls and they can't talk about these things. We need Christ followers to be salt and light, able to be ambassadors able to talk about these issues. Here's another thing I wrote down. We need to pray for the division, the the, the wide division that's happening in our country. Our political parties just seem sometimes to be moving farther and farther apart. It feels like we can't even talk about issues. Can we find a way to see the political divides healed and brought back closer that we can talk together? The national discourse in America has just gotten, it just seems like it's so harsh. Can't we have a conversation? about the issues that are facing America and can't we share what we believe is right find common ground with another person who may not believe anything like what we believe and then lastly I just wonder if there's somebody in your world that when I talk about the fact that you feel like you can't talk to any there's somebody in your world that you might not feel like you can talk to them about I just wonder if there's somebody in your world today that maybe it's a co-worker may feel like man if there's one person I, I can't talk with about any of this it's, it's them or maybe it's a family member Maybe it's your own child, or maybe it's your mom or your dad. Why don't you pray for them this morning? Because I believe God wants you to be an ambassador to them, even if it's a difficult thing. Jesus wants us to be around people who are different than us. And if there's somebody that God might be putting on your mind or your heart this morning, why don't you come to the altar this morning? Why don't you pray for them? That'd be a great thing. Our altar is open. Hey, come, let's pray for America together, guys. Let's pray for ourselves. Come on, bow a bended knee, and let's pray for our country. Father, we pray that you'd make us wise. Oh, make us wise, God, and help us to be good ambassadors for you. You have put us on a stand and you want us to shine. Lord, forgive us for sometimes just being so passionate that we might not be able to talk about things well. Lord, we lift up those around us that we know you've called us to be salt and light to them. God, help us in those relationships. 
Help us in those relationships to be good ambassadors, oh God. Help us to be so smart and so wise that we have good ears towards heaven and that when you speak and you tell us in the conversation, turn to the left or turn to the right or, or point this way. Remind us, God, we are not alone. You are the, you're the Holy Spirit. You come to help us. You want to guide us. Lord, we're praying for our country. We want your Holy Spirit to speak over our country. We want your Holy Spirit to have sway over our country, Lord. So, oh Lord, don't don't shut the windows of heaven. Don't shut the windows of heaven. Lord, speak over our country. Raise up up prophetic voices and, and mouthpieces in our workplaces and our play places so that, God, your Holy Spirit would have a place at the table. We want, Lord, your path over our country. We want to see our country return back to you. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to have sway in our lives and over our country. Oh, Lord, may it be so. This is our prayer, Lord, we pray. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, amen.